Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Poplar Propcast. We are doing a big episode today. It's two things we're going to be talking about. One is the Chicago market and kind of how that sits in the world of real estate. And then the other one we're going to be talking about is diversification. So today we're lucky enough to have a, with us Mary Jabal. She is the chief revenue officer of 33 Realty. They do all of the things. So they're involved in building and distressed assets and property management and brokerage. They just kind of hit it all. So Mary, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. To kind of get us started, can you talk about how you ended up in real estate in the first place? Because looking at your stuff, it looks like running, biking, swimming, Irish dancing, like all these kind of things from when you yeah. were a kid. Don't line yeah. up with property management much. That feels no. like an athletic career. I got into property management, basically like fell in my lap. Um, my dad was a developer. So I was always around trades from the time. I mean, I, from the time I was born, really. From So he was a mason when I was young. So he um, did bricklaying. And then he started buying buildings and building buildings. Um, so on the weekends, we were, or in the summers, we'd come down to the city and clean apartments for with my mom and my aunt um, before like people were turn, moving into apartments. So I remember that from a young age, um, more or less because we would like mess around and play in the hallways and like Dunkin' Donuts. Um, yeah, so and you then, were there for turns, but you were just playing. You're like, this I is know, a great yeah. abandoned building. <laughs> it was babysitting essentially because my mom had yeah. nothing else to do with us. Um, and then when he got out of um, Mason, like when he got out of the trades, he became an actual developer. So he was building condo buildings, like three flats, six flats. And then he got into larger stuff um, later on in like the 2000s. But he did a lot of development from like 96 to pretty much the crash in, in 2008. Um gotcha. And so when I was in high school, I started working for him in the summer. And then when I graduated high school, I went to DePaul here in the city of Chicago. So and I, I continued working for him and I handled a lot of I was on the development side. So I did a lot of um, insurance, um, construction draws, things like that. And then 2008 hit. Our world yeah. got turned upside down. <laughs> um, and he basically had no development but he had employees he wanted to keep and so he fired his property management company and just gave us properties to manage it was like so at that point out. he was he was using third-party property management it wasn't in-house for him it was he was developing you guys take care of it yes yeah so it was twofold so his partner at the time in um the development side of things he was the broker so he sold the condos that he, they built and he managed them so when that kind of happened my dad flipped it and brought property management in-house so he could do it himself and keep um keep us employed so it was my sister and i and then a few other people from our office that he wanted to keep um as long as he possibly could so we just started managing properties i got my leasing license um and we just figured it out there was we didn't really have systems in place. Um, we just kind of started building them ourselves. And we realized there was a lot of things that people were getting upset about. And it was mostly communication and not hearing back from people and maintenance. And I was like, well, this is all very easy things to fix. You just communicate well and you respond timely and you get maintenance out to fix the issue. So 
um, we've kind of, we just kind of started running with it. And, and uh, we were, I would say we did it, we were pretty, we did it pretty well for how young we were and um, not really knowing what we were doing when we started. Um, I think there's a benefit in not really knowing what you're doing. Yeah. Because you just go in and you solve this problem, then this problem, then this problem. There's a split on the other side when you have an expectation of how the problem should unfold and it doesn't, and then you're flustered. So going in blind, everything is novel. So the novel's not surprising, right? So it's, yeah. 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 And now it's, and it's, it's, um, property, man it's, it's property management, it's customer service, right? So, yeah. Yeah. um, real estate's customer service. And if you are good with people and you, you, you respond timely and, um, you have a process. That's something that I learned from a young age is you just have to put processes in place and it can be very systematic and it's, it's just like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, um, different issues, very crazy issues, different things come up all the time. Still to this day, we deal with stuff that I still have. I'll go, hmm, this is a new one for me. I haven't experienced this, but it's just, um, it's as long as you're kind of organized, I think it's, it all works itself out. So let's talk a little bit about that transition because the first ones you were talking about when you're when you were cleaning apartments after move out. So your dad originally had some that he was self managing until it got too many and he really moved into development. Yeah. So he had um, when he was a, a mason. So he had his own masonry company. So he was hired by developers and he would come in and put up the bricks and mortar on the property. Um, he then took on a few that he built himself with his um then partner which was his cousin and we so it was a couple three flats and a six flat um and so we managed those my mom and my dad managed those just on their own um and so when then he started going into the development world they started having more you know their finances changed and they were able to buy larger properties to hold on to um, built, they built a few that they held on to, but mostly it was like some older, older properties, um, that they would go in and do light rehabs to lease, rent, hold, um, sometimes sell depending on what the market was looking like, and then take that capital and put it back into the, buy more properties, either develop or keep. Um, but he, his portfolio grew quite a bit when he changed from like, just, you know, my my mom and my dad to um when it when they went to like more of a a pretty successful um so, yeah so let's let's stay on this for a second because you're the first person we've had on the cast that's about multifamily more so the three flats the six flats and those are are close to some of the stuff that poplar has in their inventory we mostly have single families a couple duplexes mm-hmm. a couple quads but once you start transitioning into the larger buildings, you're you're talking about a whole different animal. Uh, there's benefits to it because you have one set of outside walls and one roof on the building instead of mm-hmm. each one having its own. You also have a local spot to kind of go and fix a bunch of issues at once. But then on the other hand, you have a much greater concentration of, of people in one spot. You have a much greater concentration of needs in one spot. Mm-hmm. When you talk through kind of the the critical mass where you need help. So at what point is how many, what's the difference in doors do you think between single family and multifamily to manage by yourself? So there are, um, 
it, 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 I would say that's a little twofold. So depending on like how big your properties are. So if you own a bunch of three flats, um, yes, it's three individual units in one place. So different from single family. Um, so that's a little bit like if you have 12, three flats, 12, six flats or makeup of that, that's a lot more, a lot more bills to pay, a lot more tenants to manage that are scattered throughout, like, let's just say Chicago, um, the market that we're currently in. So that becomes a little bit more time consuming. And that's typically when we see when um, in certain individuals that we manage for when they start to get three, four, five properties, that's when they're like, hmm, this is becoming less of a hobby and more of a job. So I yeah. need someone to help me. Um, we then have clients who have one 20 unit building and that's in yeah. one place, one roof, one water bill, a lot more, e it's a lot easier to manage than like, let's say it was 20 units scattered across five properties. Um, but we typically see when clients are coming to 33 to manage, it's, it's about the three to four buildings and when they it's typically hey this is becoming too much for me to handle right. on my own um i want a third-party company right okay. and then it's it's also the rental side depending on if they were doing it themselves it's a lot more leases turning yeah. a lot more um people that you're calling out of what was then the yellow pages to try to find somebody now it's google and yelp and things like that yeah. so they usually have a handyman who can help them that it's their go-to guy but when your unit count goes up to let's say over 12 it's hey, it's a lot harder for those guys yeah. to handle all of the turnover um well because then you're looking at a full-time employee possible 1099 on that but he's not a specialist in hvac or plumbing so he just kind of he can do toilets and sinks and fix little minor electrical things but any of the bigger stuff you're going to still have to call in the cavalry correct yeah and that's why like that's why we find that a lot of people will come to a company like 33 because we have a lot of in-house maintenance um economies of scale we're able to help keep costs down for things like that yeah okay let's let's pivot back to your your life story because at this point you're still with uh working for your dad and kind of putting it together right after 2008 mm -hmm. and so at what point does that transition and you you work for somebody else yeah so um with the real estate crash um, my dad was able to hold on to enough property for a couple years, um, to where like, so holding on to them, meaning they were either sold, um, or a lot were turned back to the bank, um, cause they would have long-term holds that they were holding on to that they would then, um, use for leverage on like a construction deal. And when everything stopped being stopped funding, um, things were definitely over mortgaged, yeah. Um, everything kind of went upside down. So he held on to enough properties for a few years where we could, he could keep us all. And then it was about 2000 and 2010. Um, I think it was in the fall of 2010 where he was like, okay, this is kind of coming to an end. I can't keep everybody. And at that point I was like, Hey, I I'm leasing. I'm doing pretty well. Um, I can keep leasing apartments and make a decent living. At that point, I had uh, my first son as well. So I didn't mind a little bit of a break. Um, so I kind of just kind of stopped. I went and just stayed. I had my license at that point with 33. Um, so I had moved my leasing license over to 33 in the spring of 2010. Um, okay. Drew Millard, who was the founder at that point, or at it, 
Drew Miller was still. the founder. <laughs> yeah, he's still the founder. Um, but this is before Eric Weber, the other partner of 33, was even involved. So, so how did you, um, you meet Drew? How did you guys run into each other? Were you in the same circles professionally or was it a reach out? Like what? So I knew him personally. He was, um, a fr- I met him through my husband. So he, his, his wife, Marta, grew up with my husband, Sean. So I had known Drew for a few years and we would, every time I, we were together, we'd always talk real estate. I was always interested to see what he was doing and vice versa. Um, we'd talk a lot in the early days about like real estate and what his goals were. And at the time he was still, um, he was an engineer, a civil, civil engineer. Um, and he would, um, We'd, he was always talking about like someday he would eventually want to get out of that and move over to the real estate side. So when he started 33 in 2008, it was just kind of fun to talk about and hear what he was doing. And um, he they built a pretty impressive, like even back of the house. Their website was great. Um, the back of the house was way better than what I was dealing with. I had I was with a very small shop. I can't even remember the name at this point. But the way I would have to invoice deals, it was just, it was a mess. So I remember going for um, lunch with Drew one day and he was showing me his system. I'm like, oh my God, this would be so much easier. Let's just, I'm moving my license. Let's go over here. And so that's kind of when I moved my license over to 33. Um, and so it was, it was great. I mean, it was, um, it was an easy transition. I knew Drew, I trusted him um, and it was, it worked out well for, for and- the I needed. And at the inception was 33. What was 33's first piece? Was it leasing and brokerage? It was leasing. Yeah. Leasing, leasing and brokerage. And it was he with any real estate company, like in, when you're doing leasing and that, at that time, um, he was kind of focused just on, on leasing and it was like larger buildings. It was yeah. hot sheets that he would get from some of the larger, um, apartment buildings that he would call, get on their list. They'd email him, a hot sheet with their available apartments and they would go lease them up. Um, and then he started getting just more like the neighborhood type projects. Um, and that's how he got into property management was basically like they were leasing people's apartments through word of mouth. And then someone was like, Oh, do you manage property? And of course you say, yes, when you're building a company, sure, we can do that. Um, and so he did, and then he started managing people's properties and then he started selling that business line where he was going to start yeah. managing more and more and more. Yeah. It's this synergistic thing that happens where you establish trust and relationships with that client base and they just cycle through on both ends. So mm-hmm. you're, you get them coming and going and you can help them both ways, which is great. Yeah. Okay. So now that you're with 33 Realty at this point and kind of doing brokerage, leasing, and now property management, how does construction pop into that? (laughs) Like that's him being an engineer gives me a clue, but it's still a strange one to engage with and go, yep, we're building. Yeah. So with, um, with when, when Drew and Eric started built, when they were managing buildings and buying their own buildings, they would, they were buying some older things that were worth, you know, there were some deals, right? So they might've needed some, um, cosmetic upgrades and things of that nature. So then that when they started doing that for themselves, they realized, okay, we can take rents from but just by adding, you know, 10,000 in kitchen bath floors, um, some minor upgrades, they could really increase what they were getting in rent. 
Um, and that's, so they would have, they had a GC that they worked with that did a lot of their renovations. Um, and then they had clients who they were buying, finding property for helping them buy them on the brokerage side and then managing them. They were like, okay, I want you to do this for me too. So then when they realized, okay, we can make this much extra if we become the GC on the deal, that makes a lot more sense. So then we were, we became a GC, but we still worked with outside vendors. And then eventually we have brought in our own crews, our own project managers. Um, and then we went into the development world. So we still do not do ground up. That was never something that we, um, that's not like a path that we took, but a lot of, um, value add, um, yeah. and an adaptive reuse. So taking like commercial spaces, apartment building, I'm sorry, um, uh, office buildings and then turning them into residential or, gotcha. you know, that kind of stuff. I think there's a huge opportunity in that space coming forward, especially with like malls that are now, mm-hmm. they have three or four main tenants, but so many of the stores inside are shuttered. Oh, yeah, and making, the like, office buildings that yeah. you you need you're not you're not selling them. You want to keep them. The land is worth so much, so let's yeah. just flip them into something else. So that yeah. happens quite a bit, especially in Chicago. We have a lot of, especially office of buildings that have too. switched. Um, we see it in the hotels too, where like an older hotel or boutique boutique style hotel like flips into apartment buildings. So the one, the most recent one that we've been seeing here in Vegas is as warehouses kind of transition out to the edges of town instead of being more in the center of town, those warehouses are being converted into live play lofts like man caves. So the the whole thing is a garage and then there's like a loft in the back built in so that you're renting a place where you can put your toys and work on them. But then you also live there Um, with the massive amount of industrial stuff that's in Chicago, the warehousing and the shipping and all that. Are you guys seeing any of those kind of conversion buildings? Um, I we haven't been we haven't done anything like that. We've seen things. We have done renovations where we take from like an old, um, like a shipping center or something like that, and we it flips into something else, like a sports arena for ch- children mm. or yeah. um, what else did we? We were actually bidding something else out where they were taking an older building and they made it like a climbing gym. Um, oh, so yeah. we've seen more of that kind of stuff, but we haven't seen where like they take a big warehouse style property and yeah. convert that into um, into apartments. Yeah, let's talk about the the other direction that you were talking about. I'm going to go the value add. So <clears throat> I think the people that listen to us and listen to Bigger Pockets too have heard this space where you finance a building, and this is for people that are not buying out, right? But they'll finance a building to buy, and they'll get it at a reasonable rate they'll spend 15 to twenty thousand dollars on improvements that enables them as each apartment turns or each unit turns to crank up the rents and then you can go back in and refi it and when you refi it you're refining at a new cash flow rate which increases mm-hmm. the value of the property is that the kind of thing you can do with the larger apartments as well not just the four unit six units but the 20s and 50s yep absolutely so we we actually do a lot of that work a lot of times we are the property management so we start where we'll help people find buildings like that where it's let's just say 50 to 100 units um and then we can go in and they buy it you know at one at a certain value they have a loan they might even take out the construction loan they'll put like let's say a million back into it 
in kitchen bath floors just kind of take something from 1950s 1960s and then bring it back up to like granite quartz um hardwood floor washers and dryers that's a big one that we a lot of times we don't see there's like a common area laundry we put that into the units we take out the closet stack and then we put washers and dryers in all the apartments um and then when they're done they can refinance out and then um they immediately make a lot of money off of those deals yeah well, it's crazy too because because it's a loan and because you're playing with the depreciation numbers and you're extending this this tax base and this repayment over ten to thirty years. You're also when you refi, it's a it's there's no taxes on it because it's not income; it's a loan, right? Yeah, so it's like kind of tricky there where it gets in this space where you can take the capital out at lower hit risk and tax burden ahead of time instead of waiting to get it when you sell it right it's much better to have that pulled out because then as you're making your mortgage payments you're making your notes you're also playing against depreciation for your income so you've got this this spread of 30 years to play with that value right right yeah that's and then typically what we see a lot of clients will do is the value that they're able to pull out they also then it's that's how they start to grow their portfolios and they can take that that money, that wealth, and then put it into other deals, and then they keep growing their portfolio. Yeah, because you can split that up and use it as the base for two new projects. And so you have this compounding effect where you just ting, 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 which is great. <clears throat> so what else did 33 Realty get into besides construction, leasing, brokerage, property management? So we, along the way, we were using a lot of um, we had a lot of employee, like a lot of maintenance employees who not weren't necessarily um, thirty three employees. A lot of te- we started with a lot of ten ninety nine vendors, um, and then we realized, well, what are we doing? Kind of like outsourcing this to different people. We should be bringing everything in house. So that's when we created our maintenance company and our cleaning company um, to bring everything in house. So we have in house employees who handle all of our maintenance, all of our turns. Um, they do small rehab. So, you know, where you would bid out hallway painting, we do all of that. They can do some light reno jobs. Um, we do all of that. And then we were still at that point using third party plumbers, third party maintenance or HVAC technicians. And then we were like, okay, why are we doing this when you have to call somebody you're paying, let's just say, an hour, we can hire these employees, bring them in house, and then charge our clients less than that um, to give them value. So we now we now we do that. Now we have vendors handle pretty much everything. Um, We still third party like big, big stuff. But the maintenance side of things that was um, we real it's it's a great profit center as well. We realize like by bringing that in, um, you kind of take over that market in your own buildings that you're managing. So, and you're able to charge clients for when you want to replace HVAC units, HVAC um, units. So, and we've done, we've done really well there. And then same thing for cleaning, especially. So we manage, we, we manage a whole different set, like a lot of different size properties. We're in, we have a couple of a portfolio that's made up of smaller properties. So three flats, six flats up to like 50 units. And then we have, what we call our on-site properties, which are anywhere from 75 to 250 units. Um, 
And for the larger buildings, we used to have, you have to have full-time cleaning and maintenance. And we used to outsource the cleaning to third-party vendors. Um, so now we bring, we brought all of that in-house. So we have in-house employees who do the cleaning, not only on the scattered site, but also on the on-site deals. And then also is a, a good way to increase your profit. Yeah. And it, it's nice because it, it works on both sides too. This is something that we've seen when we hit critical mass in a market with Poplar, we add in in-house maintenance too. So we have that uh, in Bay Area and a couple other places right now. And I think the biggest one that I've seen in previous jobs too is you can make all of your money back just on HVAC during the summer. And the biggest thing there is that for Southwest properties, which is the majority of our portfolio right now, when the condenser goes out, or excuse me, the capacitor goes out on an HVAC unit, you're paying the guy the same amount to come out. So you'll pay a guy $200 to $400 during the height of summer, and it's going to take him two days to get out there. And when he does, if it's just the capacitor, it's a $20 part. It takes about 15 minutes to swap it, and then it's on again. So by inventory and checking all your stuff and having those capacitors on hand, a lot of the time, the first responder, which is our guy, gets there to inspect and find out what's wrong and goes, nope, done, you're good, do you need anything else? And that's, those are, those are were madness. Those are one of the big things that pushed us over to it is that just those HVAC callouts when it's 90 to 100 degrees yes. and they want it fixed now. They don't want to be hot for three or four days waiting for the text to come out. Yeah. So we, we're the similar to where in the summer it's, you know, 90 to 100 degrees and we have a lot of AC. You got humidity. In the winter, it's the opposite effect. Yeah. We have the zero degree days where heat mm. starts to go out. And that's where if you were calling somebody um, off Google or a third party vendor, their rates for emergencies are astronomical where yeah. we have our own vendors. Um, it's a, it's a huge savings. And that one's normally, so for heat going out, often it's a thermocouple. That's like probably the, the equivalent problem to a capacitor is where it just the pilot's not staying lit because the thermocouple's bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. Um, the flame sensor, just, just dirty flame yeah. sensors. A lot we used to have. Were Those are both like $20 parts. Very cheap parts. Very you cheap. just have to know what you're doing and yeah. change it. Yeah. And then um, filters that has done like, Especially in the winter when things are working really hard, if there's some older units um, mm. and tenants aren't changing filters, that's we, yeah. we used to see that a lot. Um, and then a few years ago, we, um, we we started a program where we sent the tenants have on-demand filter delivery, and then it's everything's dated. So that was actually a great way for us to regulate who's who's actually changing filters because in Chicago, it is the responsibility of the tenant in most yeah. buildings to change their own filters. Um, and we've actually been able to actually charge some of those repairs back to residents because when mm. we pull out filters and we realize there's an inch of dust on it and there's a date of when it was supposed to be changed, yeah. we can say, oh, this is going, this is your problem. Yeah. So we're going to build yeah. this back. Interesting. Um, and clients love that. So is, is that filter program, is that in-house or are you partnered with somebody for it? We, yeah, we've actually partnered with a third-party service. Gotcha. Um, and they, so we sign up, it's on the tenant's lease, and then it gets, they automatically get enrolled, and then the filters get delivered to the resident. Nice. That's that's something that we're looking at right now because we have the same issue, except for us, it's it's 
manifold just because we have the single family. So mm-hmm. a lot of them have two filters that are different sizes and we don't know what they are. So we have to do a lot of data collection to get in there. Yeah. You guys have these standards because they're all the same. Floor plan has the same HVAC wall units and condensers. Yes, most, and of the, um, most of the units are pretty standard. Um, but part of our onboarding process when we take on a new project is we go out, we have um, inspectors that we send out um, on our maintenance team and their job is to go out and take all that information. So they get pictures of, uh, all the appliances, the HVAC system, um, the roof, any, and then it's yeah. a good way we get, we take sizes, we get the sizes, we document all of that, of the filters, but then it's also a good way of, um, when we take over a project, it's a good way for us to figure out, okay, there's a lot of different maintenance here. These are the things we need to focus on for um, the upcoming fall, winter, spring seasons. Yeah. Um, and then if we're doing in, for budgeting season as well, we can figure out, okay, we need to put a cup this much money for CapEx. We need to do right. you know, the, these three projects next year. When you think about CapEx and that spend and stuff, are there a certain age past which properties you won't touch until they've been rehabbed? Or were you guys bring it on and figure it out um when when in, when working in like looking at a project that we we kind of go through like make if it's an owner who's unwilling to do the work um and they don't have like they have a different expectation than we do then we'll pass on the business um we've learned that over time like as you're when you're a young company you pretty much say yes to everybody yeah um and we're not in the business to be slumlords. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, but we're not slumlords and we want to make sure our tenants are in homes that they're comfortable in and that we're providing a certain like a high level service to all of our residents, regardless of where they live and what they pay. Um, so we've had to we fire we have fired quite a few clients who are just unwilling to do work and spend the money where they need to because um, it's not fair to the tenant. It's not fair to yeah. our employees who have to kind of fight with somebody yeah. who's just unwilling to spend money. Is that is that frugality chasing profit or over leveraged? Which do you see more often? A lot of time it's um it's the profit. Like they don't yeah. it's you'd be surprised. A lot of times it's much larger um old school like landlords that we end up yeah. firing because they have this old school mentality that it's like oh it's fine it's like no you should yeah. just take care of this and then it won't cost you as much when something breaks um yeah. and your residents will be happy and they'll pay you more so yeah. it's kind of um a lot of times it's we're we call ourselves like we're like the therapist to um yeah. residents owners and you really sometimes have to school a landlord because one if they're just not sure how to handle something but um a lot of times they don't realize the long-term effect of not right. handling something in a timely manner yeah i was i've i've talked to a couple of people that talk about quality of tenants and how important that can be and i've heard several landlords and owners who are very much I want to increase every month, no matter what. Here's the increase I want. If I don't get that, don't renew the lease. And it's it's very. They've done the books and the numbers, and they're just looking at these numbers and going, "These are the numbers I have to have. I don't care mm-hmm. how we get them. I have to have them." But then on the other side of that, you miss the add-in costs. You miss the turn costs. You miss the renovation costs. You miss that 
that block of things that changes. You're losing a tenant that's been taking care of the property right. and will continue to do so. And so there's this quantitative, qualitative balance that I think a lot of owners don't necessarily engage with, mm -hmm. while at the same time understanding that their financial arrangement is another person's housing arrangement. Correct. And a housing arrangement is deeply emotional. And so there's a portion there where when you raise the rent too high, some people just take it because the cost of moving for them and the cost of leaving the place that they love living in is super challenging. And so there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of work to do on the owner side sometimes. And yeah. I, yeah. I, I definitely yeah, hear that. We definitely see that in a lot of situations. Um, but then in, in Chicago, we, we in the last couple of years, we see that people move a lot more, especially in the multifamily um, units. And a lot of our buildings, especially some of the newer, larger properties that we manage, they're smaller. So people don't have as much furniture. Mm. Um, they don't, it's, you know, they can call a moving company and move for a couple hundred dollars yeah. and they don't care. So it's yeah. a balancing act of how much you're going to raise your rent at the risk of losing somebody. Um, cause they, they'll, they'll move. And then, um, something that was happening a few years ago, it's, it's starting to go away where, um, owners and landlords, especially like the institutional level owner, they wanted to raise rents and see the most that they could possibly see on a rent bill. And so they didn't care if they were giving two, three months concession. So giving free rent rent. And then, so like, what you saw on the rent roll wasn't necessarily what someone yeah. was paying. Um, and so that was people then were like, all right, I can, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay here for 12 months. The chunk price on my lease is not necessarily what I'm paying. And then I'm right. going to chase these concessions. So we were seeing yeah. um, for a few years, the renewal rates were just ridiculous. People were, yeah. we were only retaining you know, 40% of our residents in these new construction deals because they knew they could take it and go find a concession somewhere else the next 12 months. Um, but that's starting to thankfully regulate a little bit better where it's owners have come to realize, okay, it's not yeah. the best to be giving all these concessions. It's better just to have a rent that's actually what the units should be valued at. And then clients will stay and the re renewal rates have definitely flipped where people are staying, you know, 75% of the time um, and moving less, which is thankfully where we want to be because it's, yeah. you, it, you know, it's a lot easier to manage, exactly. it's a better. lot easier to manage, but as an owner, yeah. you're not paying as much in turnover costs, possible right. vacancy loss. Um, and then like on the employee side, it's, it's so, definitely a lot easier. Yeah. So this goes back to the stuff we were talking about earlier. Were they chasing that? highest rent possible for refinancing the property, especially with the way rates have been for the last three or four years. It's yes. These are yeah. Refinance or trying to sell out. So that's, yeah. a, we, we, that's another thing. So Chicago, um, in the last, I would say five, six years, we started seeing a lot more, um, of the larger luxury apartment buildings in what we call the neighborhood. So you have like the downtown neighborhood, you have like the downtown city of Chicago, and then the neighborhoods start to scatter a little bit farther out. So Lincoln Park, Lakeview, Logan Square, 
they're like get as you get a little bit farther out, you would see smaller buildings where um, in the last like five, six years, you started seeing larger hundred unit buildings pop up in all the different neighborhoods. And so when, and getting the same rents they, or higher than you were getting when closer to downtown, like River North, mm. Gold Coast, things like that. Um, so when developers were building these large buildings, they had, their end goal was to build it, lease it up and then sell it. Yeah. Um, so that was what they were trying to do is get max prices. Gotcha. So that's something for the renters out there that's to play against. Go look for somebody who's trying to get their property sold and get some concessions out of them. Yeah. <clears throat> Just to get the rent rolls up. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Chicago and how it dealt with the two big shifts. So the first shift you've already mentioned, which is the 2006 to 2010, when everything blew up and then everything collapsed. Mm-hmm. When that happened to Chicago, since it has, especially in the downtown area, it has fewer single family properties to deal with. It has a lot more multifamily stuff. So how did that kind of flush through Chicago? How did that affect the general economy and then the housing space, particularly since so much is rentals? Yeah. So um, the sale, so the general economy, like anything else, prices tanked Um, a lot of from a sales standpoint, we'll start with that. So prices were um, plummeting rates were people, you could get a built like a, a building that was once valued for 600,000, you were getting it for half. Um, and same thing with renters, people, you know, people were losing their jobs, they weren't making as much. So same thing, rents came way down. Um, the rental market came back a lot faster. So as those prices started going up. The values in the homes and the buildings those started going up a lot faster. Um, and we we saw like a good, we saw a, a quick comeback. Especially the closer downtown you were, the faster the values were building. Um, yeah. So we were able to. I mean, rates went. Uh, yeah, I was in like two thousand. We always were saying cash was king back then. So where yeah. a lot of buildings were getting turned back to banks and things like that. If you had cash, if you could buy something in cash, um, you then turned around and sold that building a few years later and over maybe doubled your, your what yeah. you bought it for. Um, and same thing with the rental market. It was it came back pretty quick where in 2000, I would say eight through 10, um, some clients from like 11, 13, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, people were raising rents like $200 a month um, when leases were um, oh, for a release for a release. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of, and then it started to like in the middle there, after, it was like 15, 16, 17, things started to slow down a little bit. And people were like, well, I got $300 increase last year. Um, and we're like, well, things are regular now. That's not how it's going to go. Yeah. Um, we're this year. So pandemic, pandemic hit in 2020, same thing. Rents went way down. Um, like everyone was giving haircuts on all rents. And now this year rents have gone way up. Um, some clients have, we've increased 10, 12, 15% in some situations from where they were leased in 2020 and 2021. So things yeah. have really completely turned around at this point. In are you seeing, yeah. Are you seeing a plateau now at all? Um, 
Well, Chicago is very seasonal. So Chicago mm. is a very seasonal rental market. You so don't we move in the lease, winter. <laughs> yeah, we lease most of our apartments from March until September. And then in, from September to January, things are pretty much dead. Like the rental market's super slow. No one wants to move when there's snow on the ground. So landlords and tenants, they try to you find the leases um, and you move in the summer. So right. right now things are slowing down, but we're still increasing rents for our fall um, renewals over where they were last year. And so this year, I would say from, from 2021, it was a smaller increase, but the 2022 renewals, it we haven't seen a slowdown yet. Like rates are still, apartments are higher than I would say they've been in, in years, way back to before pre-pandemic. And pre-collapse, uh, right? Like we're back to, what's oh. the highest it's ever been? It's now the highest it's ever been? I would say we're, yeah, we're probably the highest we've ever been right now. So something we've seen in other places, and I don't know how it would affect Chicago, is the work from home push at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. A lot of people moved out of denser city centers and looked towards, we saw a, an increase in single family pressure. So does that happen in a place like Chicago where the market's kind of so different? It did. Where pe we, we saw a lot of people moving one, what we, we call home. So back to the suburbs, we saw a huge push to the suburbs. Um, and then we saw um, just a lot, not as many people coming into the city. So we get a huge push in the summer months and a lot of our, in our luxury um, apartment buildings, we get a lot of people who are coming into Chicago for work. So early grads, people who just graduated from yeah. college. Um, and we, 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 we get a lot of that in the properties that we manage because they're, they're smaller, they're luxury, they're um, amenitized buildings. So people want like the best of the best. Yeah. Um, fancy gyms, lounges, coffee machines, rooftops, like that kind of stuff. Um, so we see a lot of like young professionals coming into the properties that we manage and that really slowed down in 2020 and then 2021. Um, and we're finally seeing them come back. So last year we were still feeling the effects where people were either staying home. They didn't want to be close to people, but it's, we, we say Chicago is back. The market is back. Um, and I would say people are back in full swing. I would say the only difference now is um where we would have like a two bed and we would maybe have two roommates situations yeah. we see a lot more one person renting an apartment on their own where they might have one as their office one bedroom yeah. office and then one bedroom where they're where they're staying so in talking about the stuff that we were, were talking about earlier where you can increase your uh, revenue rate by putting in granite countertops redoing the floors that kind of stuff there's there's additional things being done in some places where it's very much focused on that second room being a multi-purpose space and not just a second bedroom. It's going, this second bedroom is actually, it's the space you need to do the things you want. Is that something that you do, you change in how you advertise or how you set it up? Or is it just, it's a two bedroom? <laughs> no. So we, we do, when we're advertising, we say a lot of things as, you know, two bedroom or one bedroom, if it could be one bedroom plus office, depending on the size. So we in, in Chicago and a lot of, whether it's an older building or sometimes um, even in these new buildings, the bedroom sizes are micro 
So what we would consider, this is pretty much a walk-in closet, but it's a bedroom. Now we will, you can market it differently where it's, you know, a two bed plus den or two bed plus office. Um, And a lot of our developer clients, um, when we're looking at um, plans and things like that, we, we make the recommendation to take, like they might have a little, a little nook or a closet, like a small closet, we might recommend that they instead make that, like put a slab on it and make it an actual permanent desk. Like um, and that's something office. that's very popular lately, yeah. making sure you have <sighs> USB and out, like any USB outlets um, in every place possible. Make sure you have them in your countertop, in, in, the, in your islands, um, just finding places where people could work because in most developments now, people are making sure that their space is enough for where people would put their desk. Like that is a, a thought process as, right. you're, as you're developing. And then if you're doing any rehabs and things like that. Right. Yeah. So I think that's going to be interesting though, too, because I know that in my own home, I've put in the USB outlets and now everything's switching to USB-C. So I'm like, <laughs> well, great. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, so let's pivot to one last thing before we kind of wrap it up. And that's kind of what Poplar and 33 Realty are doing together. So this is going to drop on the 13th. And if our listeners are eagle eyed and keep an eye out for website changes and press releases, you'll find out about something that we've been working on together for a while and are now ready to kind of tell the world about. Mary, do you want to talk about what we're going to be doing? So Poplar um, purchased the leasing, maintenance, and property management companies of the, on the, of the 33 family. Um, so we are expanding with Poplar under the Poplar brand um, on the multifamily side. So I believe we're the largest multifamily division with Poplar, um, which has been super exciting and it's been great collaborating um, with the Poplar team. And we're looking to grow on a national level when, because currently 33 was just in um, Wisconsin, um, Indiana, Michigan, and Illinois. So, and it's been a goal of ours to expand for not only our clients, but um, new clients to take our, our multifamily um, company and kind of expanding it across across the yeah. nation. So it's been, it's been exciting. We're working, we've started working on a few deals together already where we're bidding out our services in different states. Um, and it's, 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 it's fun. We're, we're excited about it. Um, it's, it's a great, it's going to be a really nice collaboration, I think, between the two groups. Yeah. It's super exciting for us because we got to, we got to do all the things we've been talking about at a national level where for single family, we're, we're at a work on both coasts and we're many places in between now we're in Chicago as well. We're able to manage single family on one side, but then the expertise and the abilities that 33 have are, are super, super compelling to us. And we can't wait to bring that to every state in this great nation of ours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're here for, we lots of the, the team's excited. It's, it's been a, it's a fun journey and I'm excited to like grow and kind of like also learn from the experts um, on the tech side of things and keep evolving that way as well um, with Poplar because right now we, uh, we're very process driven and we, we, we have a lot of KPIs and we're, it's, it helps us kind of take our process and kind of plug it into different markets as we've learned just from going to Wisconsin, Indiana, Michigan. So the further out we go, we're pretty excited about it. 
It's super fun. So Mary, I look forward to talking to you about this more. We'll kind of do some updates as we go through the years for sure. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Any Justin. last words for our listeners? Just go visit them at 33realty.com if you want to see what they're doing in the Chicago area. If you have any kind of a deal that you want to bring to them, take it there. You can also reach us at poplar.home slash pod. That's poplar.home slash pod. And when this drops, we'll have links back and forth between both websites so you can catch us either side. Thanks all for listening, and we will talk to you later. Bye bye. Thanks. 